Well, we're going to look, and I told you last week to read Matthew chapter 24, and uh, it was Jesus gives uh, an outline of the tribulation period. <clears throat> but we're not going to go there this morning. We're going to, I'm going to refer to it, but we're actually not going to go there. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 6. And what Jesus does in Matthew 24 is an outline of what we find in Revelation chapter 6. And uh, <clears throat> when I send you the notes, I'll send you kind of the outline of that <clears throat> in Matthew 24, and you can refer to it. Okay, <clears throat> I, want, I want to say, <clears throat> when we look at the book of Revelation, and I did a little bit of this at the beginning when we started, but there are people who interpret it different ways. There, there are people who interpret it as just symbolism. That it's just, it, can, it cannot be understood, it's just symbolism, uh, and that we just, we, they, they spiritualize it, um, they think that the, the, the wars that you see are internal, that we have a war with sin, and Christ is the victor, and that happened on the cross, and so they don't, they don't think it is chronological history, they don't think it's going to happen, they don't see it as necessarily prophecy that's going to take place. <clears throat> I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong for one reason. is because the Lord Jesus, in answer to a question found in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus outlined the tribulation time. Also, I've said to you several times, if you're going to understand Revelation, the book of Revelation, you have to go back to Daniel and understand Daniel's prophecy about timelines. And Daniel's prophecy about timelines has to do with the Jewish nation. And when Jesus was cut off after 69 weeks of years, which is Daniel's prophecy, when Jesus is cut off, the timeline for Israel stopped, and now it's the time of the church. And Paul calls it the mystery. So now it's the mystery of the church age, or the mystery of grace, and the mystery is not something that can't be known, but it's something that hasn't been known. So, so now, during this time of grace, when it's the time of the Gentiles, basically, not the time of Israel, so the Lord is saving people out of every nation, every tribe, every people group, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't really, it, there's no distinction. Anyone can be saved by grace. People are being saved by grace across the world for these last 2,000 years. And so, but <clears throat> when that time is fulfilled, and we'll see that little indication here, when that time is fulfilled, there, see, God has a plan and he works according to his plan. When that time is fulfilled, then the time of grace comes to an end, and then God begins to deal with the nation of Israel once again. And that last week of years, that last seven years, is what we call the tribulation. The Bible calls it tribulation. Sometimes it refers to it as the great tribulation. And so when, when Jesus outlines it, um, it means it's in the future. Daniel saw it in the future. <clears throat> and then, so the, the way people interpret it sometimes is they, they, they think it is history. And so they look back at some of the wars and things about what happened to Israel and they associate some of the drama that you find 
with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. and then with Israel in 135 A.D. Or they even, they don't go back that far and they see it as World War I or, you know, they see it as um, something that's happening in, after the time of Christ but just happened in history. And so they see it sometimes as the rise of kings. They see it. So they, the problem with the historical when you, when you try to apply the book of Revelation back to what's happened in history, uh, most commentators say there's about 50 different ways you could do it, or, or it's unlimited. You, know, you just pick. So <clears throat> what, what, what I think is correct and what I teach you, uh, I think, is what has been the, the way that fundamental, independent, uh, biblical, I'm not talking about independent Baptists, but I'm talking about People who are not associated, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the Catholic Church or, or, or the Episcopal Church or the Baptist Convention. You know, the Baptists are not associated with some of the others. But I'm not saying this, this is not how they, but it's people who believe the Bible is interpreted historically. It means that it's, it's literal, literal history. It's, it's literal prophecy that's going to take place in the future. The words have literal meaning. God wrote it that we can understand it. And, and so when you look at that, then it is interpreted, Revelation is interpreted as something that's actually going to happen. It's going to happen on the earth. It's going to happen under the direction of God. It's going to happen, and it's going to be literal events that are in future that they're going to take place. That's how I interpret it. And I think that's how you should interpret it. Now let me say this. <clears throat> Timing is different. Timing is hard to pin down. So I'm going to say to you this morning that when you get to the end of the fourth seal, that I think that's the first half of the tribulation period. And then I think after that, the fifth seal covers both, and then you go into the sixth and seventh seal, and that's going to be the great tribulation period. But again, I can't prove that. That's just where I think it breaks down. So... I'm, I don't want to be dogmatic about that. You, you, you interpret that for yourself in, in, in some way. Okay, so with, with all those clear let me just pray and we'll start. Pray with me. Our Father, we ask you to help us uh, to, uh, Lord, uh, interpret your word. I pray you'd help us to see your glory in your word and, Lord, see your hand upon our world and, Lord, to have greater faith in you because of what you've given to us in your word. So help us this morning as we think together to have a clarity and, uh, Lord, to uh, understand the grace that you've given to us and honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures say, come with a voice like thunder, come and see. Okay. So we know this is going to happen. Jesus said this is going to happen. So here's what I want you to think about. It's not symbolism, but it's actual things that are going to happen upon the earth. Here's what John MacArthur said and his commentary, and I agree with him. Each seal represents a specific divine judgment that will be poured out sequentially on the earth. 
and the seals encompass the entire period of the tribulation, which accumulates in the return of Christ. Okay, and six of them take place in, in chapter 6. Now, you understand, not chapters originally, but six of them take place in chapter 6, and then the seventh is going to take place later. <clears throat> I, I, want, I should have brought that big whiteboard in here so, so you'd understand a little better what I'm saying. There's seven seals, and the seven seals cover the whole time. You say, well, what about the trumpets, and what about the, the, the bowls or the vials, the thing on which translation you read? Well, the, the seventh seal, okay, let's just put six on this side. The seventh seal on this side, when the seventh seal is open, what happens inside the seventh seal is the seven trumpets, and they're proclamations. They're proclamations that come from heaven. So, it, so that all takes place inside the seventh seal. It's not after the seventh seal. That is the seventh seal. Okay, you with me there? Does that make sense? Okay, when you get to the seventh trumpet inside the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet is the seven vials. Okay, so it all happens inside the seventh seal. So, <clears throat> okay, so it is a sequential order. When, when you're going through the book of Revelation itself, there are parentheses that you're, you're, you're looking at heaven, you're looking at the effects of what's taking place, and so you can't go chapter by chapter and say this is sequential things that are happening, but the seals are sequential. So, MacArthur says this regarding the timing. It seems best to understand the first four seals are taking place during the first half of the tribulation. The fifth stretches from the first into the second, which is the great tribulation. And the sixth and seventh take place during the great tribulation. And since it seems that the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments, and the seventh trumpet contains the seven bowl judgments, then the seals contain all the judgments to the end until Christ comes in glory. <clears throat> okay, I hope, I hope that makes sense to you. Okay, so let's look at the first seal. <clears throat> and here's what's taking place. This is a, remember if you were here last week or two, in Daniel's time, so before the time of Christ, six, seven hundred years before the time of Christ, Daniel was told to seal up these things that had been revealed to him until the time of the end. And then when we are looking in chapter 4, we saw that it is the time of the end and that, that Jesus goes to the Father, the Father hands him this scroll, and Jesus is worthy to open it. And what this scroll is, I think... It's not, it's not totally clear scripture, but I think it's the same scroll that Daniel he had Daniel seal up until the time of the end. And what it contains, it contains the program of God for the end time for the Jewish nation and the nations. It's primarily going to deal with the Jewish nation first to bring them to faith in Christ. This is the accumulation of the prophecy of Daniel concerning the Jewish nation. And you think, well, why is God so concerned about the Jewish nation? God's going to show the world. The Jewish nation was developed. They were developed by God 
to preach to the world that there is a true God. See, the world's full of idolatry. We left to ourselves become idolatrous. I'm an idolatrous person except for the grace of God. And you are as well. Our idols take different shapes and forms. And most of the time they're ourselves. But, But what happens is that the Jews were to, to tell the world that there is a God who created and he is made without hands. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the moral lawgiver. He is the one you answer to. He is the savior of, of your soul from your sin. And the Jews didn't fulfill it. So <clears throat> it wasn't a surprise to God. That's why there's prophecy. Prophecy God... God said they're going to fail. Why why did they fail? Because they're human. They were sinful. And so they failed, and God has this time of grace where the Holy Spirit has indwelt believers and allowed us, the Holy Spirit brings us to a knowledge of Christ, brings us to a knowledge of our need. I, I can't come to that on my own. So during this age of grace, you and me and people like us have been influenced by the Holy Spirit to believe in Christ as Savior. And it, it's, it's God's work in us. Salvation is of the Lord. It's God's work in us, not our own wisdom. And so now we come to the, to the end of time here in Revelation. And God's going to reveal to all of history, since the creation, since the Garden of Eden, He's going to reveal to every person who's ever been born, He's going to reveal to them, that he is God and he is just and he is loving and merciful and they were rebellious. So that's God's plan. As I understand it in scripture, that's God's plan. God's going to, in the book in the book of Revelation, when you come to the end time and the millennial kingdom, God is, what he's doing, he is authenticating himself. He doesn't do that today. Our world thumbs their nose at God. True? And it's always been true. It's always been true. You know, <clears throat> we have this idea. We're so self-centered. We have this idea that God needs to return to judgment because America is sinful. Right? The world's always been sinful. We, we just hadn't been as bad as some of the world in the past, but now we are. And, and we're, but the world's always been sinful. Mankind's, mankind's always been sinful. It's always been in rebellion. And so God's going to vindicate himself and it's to his glory and every person will acknowledge that Christ is Lord. Always has been. Okay, that's not in the notes anywhere, but see, that's the purpose. God is not vindictive. God God is holy. And there's a world of difference. I'm vindictive, God's holy. God's righteousness demands his the revelation of his glory. And so keep that in mind when you think about these horrendous things that's going to happen in our world and has happened for the last 2,000 years. Okay, seal number, seal number one, verse two. And I looked and behold a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. This is the Antichrist. This is not Christ coming on a white horse. We're going to find that in chapter 19. But this is the Antichrist. And it's represented, the white horse is representative as conquering, and he, he's going to be given a crown and conquer. Um, 
Wolverd said that this is the prince that shall come out of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. He heads up the revived Roman Empire. He is the Antichrist. And a man named Stephen writes this. Stephen says this. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, the Antichrist will be revealed after the removal of the restraining of the Holy Spirit, which is in the saints of God, which is called the rapture. We call that the rapture. So I want you to think for a moment. Across the world, when, when we who know Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit's not just floating around in the world. He indwells us. And when we're taken out, the indwelling Holy Spirit is taken out. Now, the Spirit of God still is, in the, still is at work, but, but we're, we're the restraining people of society. And not just us in America, but across the world. Christianity is a restraint upon uh, morality. It's a restraint upon wickedness. It's a restraint upon uh, just the, the wickedness of mankind. Uh, it, it, governments have laws. Even, even dictators have laws. They, have, they bring order. They bring, and and what it, where does that come from? It comes from the goodness of God. And it comes from the goodness of God through the Holy Spirit's influence upon people in the world. It, sometimes it's the common grace of God. Sometimes it's the indwelling Holy Spirit. When that's taken out, there's going to be anarchy. We, we see even, see this is new to us in our nation and to us in our generation. When, when we see something happen, rioting takes place. Good or bad, rioting takes place. Now, why does that happen? It happens because that's man's nature. People take advantage of the circumstances to riot and loot and to be evil and to do evil because that's their nature without Christ. Without Christ, that's my nature. Without Christ, that's your nature. We need to be honest. You need to recognize that. But Christ restrains us. Christ wants us to, he, he, he leads us to glorify him. When that restraint is taken away, the Antichrist is going to come to power. So you think today, America is the superpower, China's emerging, Russia's has been there, and so there's this kind of balance in the world. Now, I'm just giving you my opinion now. When the rapture takes place, we collapse, uh, in my opinion. But basically, we collapse. And the, the Antichrist can rise in the area of the old Roman Empire, which is being Italy, be, it'd be uh, to the west of Israel and, and there. And then he begins to conquer. <clears throat> Again, you go back to Daniel and you find this is happening, that he is the one who will arise and he will then begin to establish his empire. This is what Stephen says. He'll be, re- he'll be revealed after removal of the Holy Spirit. He says, Then he will have sweeping victories, especially in the areas of the old Grecian Empire, in the Syrian area to the north, to the Egyptian area to the south, and to the Mesopotamian area to the east. Now, he's already controlled. He starts in the west. And when he's talking about the west, it's the west of Israel. It's up in Rome and up in that area. And where the old Roman Empire was centered, and, and the latter, the southern part of Europe, but, the, but up in the western part of the, of the area. And then he conquers these other areas. 
which is the, all the rest of what the Grecian Empire conquered, and then the Romans took it over, and it's all the areas surrounding Israel. So it's all through the Middle East, uh, up in Europe and all through the Middle East. So he's going to conquer. Again, you read that in Daniel, that he ha- has this one horn, and he conquers three other horns, and so he conquers these governmental areas. And so he is taking advantage of what's happening in the world, and people are looking to him because they want stability. And if you read history a little bit, that's why Hitler came to such... Hitler was an idiot, but he came to such prominence in Germany because they wanted a leader, they wanted stability. And the cliche is they wanted the trains to run on time. So they wanted, and see, sometimes that's what we want. We, we want stability in our lives so we can go on with our own pursuits and not have to worry about whether the marauders are going to attack our house. Isn't that true? So see, we want the same thing. And so th- this is what happens. So people look to it. But, but as he does that, then we read the, about the second seal in verse 3 and 4. And he opened the second seal, and when Christ opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Now, God doesn't send war. What happens is that he allows the peace to be removed. Okay, there's a difference there. See, some people want to blame God for wickedness, but he, he allows peace to be removed. Okay, as peace is removed, then war is the result. You may be reading the book of James that why, why are there wars among you? Because of the lust of your own heart. Because you, you, you lust to have and you do not have, and so war breaks out. So war breaks out throughout the world. And there's always been war in our world. That's, that's man's nature, is, is to conquer and to control and so it, it breaks out. Daniel chapter 8, verse 24, describes the war efforts of the Antichrist. He says this, Daniel eight twenty four. He will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. So as war breaks out, the Jews, the holy people, are going to come in to danger. Then we come to the third seal. Verse 5 and 6, and, he, and when he opened, when Christ opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and wine. So the, the result of worldwide war is famine. When we read here about the scales, when he has the scales in his hand, that speaks of rationing. And, you know, we've known a little bit about that. You could only buy one roll of toilet paper, one, one package of toilet paper. <laughs> I read a little article this week. <clears throat> Years ago, I worked for Kimberly Clark. They produced toilet paper. That, that was their big bulk item in Kleenex. <clears throat> and so I'm always interested when I see those articles. And, uh, but they said that toilet paper sales are way down now. You know, they're way down because people are stocked up. You know, you hoarded it in, in your garage. 
and I couldn't, I couldn't buy any. <laughs> and uh, so, so toilet paper sales are way down. Now, you can find it now because it's, it's just way down. But, but this scale speak of rationing, there's just not going to be enough food. You know, when <clears throat> imagine in our time, we're worried about cyber warfare. Because if cyber warfare is effective, then what happens? we can't function. Because now, all the ordering and all the supply chain and all is on electronics. It's all computer driven. And if that is destroyed, we can't function. During the great freeze of 2021, some of you were without internet connection, right? And, 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 and you were maybe a little frustrated because you didn't have TV either, <clears throat> and you didn't know what to do with yourself. Well, imagine that you can't pump gas because there's no electricity. You can't, there's no controlling thing. You, so the trucks don't run. See, and that's what happened in the freeze. The trucks didn't run, so there's no supply in the stores. And I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that you know, a generation ago, stores had warehouses, but now they don't. Now they have a three-day supply on fresh goods. It means that if they don't get a supply, three days from now they're out. And, and that's it. And, and, and actually it happens quicker than three days because the moment it gets dry, somebody puts on the internet that there's a shortage and the next day it's gone <laughs> because you hoard it again. <clears throat> so... What happens, this is the natural result of the war. There's just going to be, uh, there's, going, there's, there's going to be a famine, and the poorest people struggle the most. When he talks about barley, that's the, that's the poorest grain, and one, a Daenerys is a day's wage, and they could buy enough grain for, for one day, that period. For one, that's, that's their wage for that day, that's all they buy. And it says, hurt not the oil and wine. Hurt not the oil and wine. And, and really, this, what it's talking about there is talking about only the rich people can afford the oil and wine during that time. And uh, so it hurts the poorest people first. And, and then after that, it begins to hurt everybody. If you ever read the book of Lamentation, probably you don't read that very often because it's, it's a hard book to, to, not to understand, but it's a hard book to read. But it's after the devastation of, of of Israel, Jeremiah speaks about it, and, and it's when people ate their own children. I mean, just terrible time of famine. Well, you read this in chapter five, and verse nine and ten. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. Sometimes we see the pictures of kids in, in uh, third world countries who are suffering from the effects of famine. And there are millions of them today. That's uh, so why you should support manna to some degree that we're involved with because they're feeding children. And <clears throat> but you see them, they have the extended stomachs and they're feverish and see that's, that's the, the results of famine. And then we come to the fourth seal and um, we read this in verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. 
So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, hunger, and with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So the following, the conquering, the wars, um, the famine is death. I mean, death is what happens. And death and Hades... Hades is the holding place of the dead until Christ comes again. And until Christ comes again, and then there's going to be the great white throne judgment, and then there's going to be a final disposition of every person, either in heaven or in hell. But Hades is the abode of the dead until that time. So he's just saying that this is allowed for a fourth of the earth. Okay, a fourth of the population of the earth. It doesn't just mean that it's, 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 it's limited to a locality. It's talking about the population of the earth. And a fourth of the population of the earth today would be somewhere over one and a half billion people, maybe up to one and three quarters of a billion people, if there's about seven billion people on the earth today. It's hard for us to imagine that. We can't imagine that. But again, if you read a little history and you read about the Black Plague that came in, in Europe, and, it, 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 and they don't even know for sure, but it... It killed between a fourth and a third of the population of Europe. And sometimes they say in Africa and India, it killed more than that. It killed up to half of their populations at some point in time. They don't even know. But the Black Plague was a scourge. And when we read this, this last sentence, it says, and by the beasts of the earth. You know, the worst beast is a rat. See, the rats carried the disease. The rats... and, and we don't live in a city. I mean, this is a city, but, you know, we don't live packed together like, like if you were in a major city. And, and they can't conquer the rats. Even today, they can't conquer the rats. And, and the rats carry the disease, and the rats devour, I mean, and, and the rats infect everything. And uh, it's, re- it's really, really interesting. Terrible when you think about this. Okay, I want you to think about something else. When, when, when Jesus opens this seal, he's not saying, okay, go carry this out. What, what he, when he opens this seal, this is something that has happened. In God's economy, this is happening. It's happened. It, it's, it's already, he's, he's just revealing it. Revelation is the unveiling. So Christ is just revealing what is happening. And it, it's, just a, it, it's, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. Okay, the fifth seal then. And the fifth seal we read in verse 9. And he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So these are saved people. These are people who are under the altar. There's a symbolism here for the Jewish people that when... When you offered your blood sacrifice, when you, when you brought your animal and the priest killed it, and they offered, they took a little bit of the blood in a bowl and they offered a little bit of the blood on the altar and the rest of it they poured out under the altar. And they had drains there in the temple. And if, you, if you've ever read about the temple, then, so they poured the blood under the altar. So this is that symbolism here that I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God for the testimony which they held. So these are saved people who, who were martyred 
And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Okay, so they're saying, Lord, what's your timing? When are you going to avenge us? We were martyred for your namesake. When are you going to avenge us? And again, I spoke to you a little bit ago about God's vengeance. God's vengeance is holy. I'm going to go, and David's not going to put this on the screen, but I'm going to read to you the very first part of Psalm 94. Okay, and so listen to Psalm 94. And the heading in my Bible is, Vengeance Belongs to God. So listen to this. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. And then he says, understand you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? And he who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Okay, God will be vindicated. That's what I said to you earlier before we started. And so these people who've been slain prior to this are saying to the Lord, Lord, how long? What's your timing? What, what, what are you going to avenge our blood? And then we read in verse 11. And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. All right, a couple of things I want to say just doesn't advance the story, but when you're looking at these, when we read in verse 11, when you're looking at this, that they should rest a little while longer. We're going to rest when we leave this world, whether by martyrdom or whether we die of old age, or we're going to rest. We're going to enter into our rest. Remember when we read, when we studied through Hebrews and we read about the rest of God. And it had to do like the Sabbath rest. God rested and God wanted these people to take a rest. But then we, we studied and we recognized our rest is in Christ. Now when I think about rest, I'm not talking about an afternoon nap. But it means that I come to a place of peace. Right? And it, it, it's because we're in Christ. That is our rest. And we're going to heaven. These people are still aware. They knew what was going on on earth. They, they knew that the Antichrist is, 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 is having free reign and people are being martyred and they have been martyred. And so they have an awareness. I hear people say sometimes that when we go to heaven, we're not going to have any awareness of our life. And I think that's wrong. How are we going to know the glory of Christ's redemption if we don't remember we were sinners? So, of course, throughout, it just makes sense to me that throughout eternity, I'm going to remember that I'm a sinner saved by grace, and here's my Savior who saved me. 
Now, I'm not going to feel remorse. This is my opinion. I'm not going to feel guilty. I don't feel guilty today for my sinfulness. I don't want to talk about it. I may have a little shame, but, I, but, I, but, but I've been forgiven. And we're going to acknowledge that. So they're acknowledging what they went through. They're acknowledging what's going on in the world. So they have this awareness, and, and they're saying to them, but they're rest. He said, rest a little longer. And then some people say that he gave them a, a white robe. That means they have a body. Now, whether they have a body at this point, I really don't know. It said souls. There are souls under the altar. But they, but they gave them, I think we do. If I die today and I go into the presence of the Lord to be absent of the body, to be present with the Lord, I have some kind of body. It's not my resurrected body because that doesn't happen at, at, until Christ comes. So, but I have some kind of body and I think, I think they do too. I think they have some kind of body and they have an awareness. So uh, either way, it doesn't matter. They have an awareness. They are who they are. They, they understand who Christ is. They're at rest in him. And then we read this. If you look very closely in your Bible, uh, it probably won't be on the screen. But when we read the words in verse 11, he said, it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until and then until both the number... And the words, the number, in your Bible is in italics. It means that the translators added that to help us grasp what was saying, because they're trying to make the Greek understandable in English. But he said the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were were completed. And he may be saying that until the character, until God's work is complete, it's not necessarily the number but it is until the fullness of time of God's plan is completed. What I want you to think about here is when when we think of these horrendous things that are happening, God's in complete control. God has an end time. He he has a limited amount that Satan can do. Go back to the book of Job, and the Lord allowed Satan to have a limited amount of freedom in the life of Job, but it was limited. And, and it was to God's glory, and Job was rewarded for it. And so if, if you and I are martyred for the cause of Christ, or we simply live and die of old age for the cause of Christ, or we live until the rapture, but we live for Christ there's going to be a reward for that. Even though we have suffered, even though we have suffered the ravages of sin, and there's going to be a reward, because that's what God does, and this is what he wants. He wants the brethren who are going to suffer, he wants it to be completed. So God has a timetable, God has a plan, and there is going to be a completion of it one day. Sometimes when we read about what's happening in our world today, not just the United States, but in our world, and we see that anarchy is on the rise, and there's, you know, and we think, okay, is there any hope? And there is, and our hope's in Christ. God has a plan. He's working his plan. He's giving mankind time to repent. You go through the Old Testament, and you deal with the enemies of Israel. When, when Israel comes into the land and the exodus, when they come back into the land, God had given those nations. He, he allowed Israel to remain in Egypt for 400 years, and the Bible states 
that he's given the Amorites time to repent. God's very patient. God's very merciful. But, but there is a time of judgment that will come. So, um, for, for those, you know, as Jack teaches us about martyrs, there is a reward for, for being a martyr. But a martyr doesn't just happen because you, you, somebody kills you for Christ. A martyr is also when you suffer with Christian character in your life. You, you're, you're the same as a, you're a martyr for God. You don't necessarily have to die, but you're a martyr for God when you suffer with Christian character. Okay, let's get to the sixth seal then in verse 12. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the faith of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Okay, I think when you read about the Phil cell, and there are martyrs who have already died, and there are martyrs who are going to die, I think MacArthur's right. So that seal transcends the first half of the tribulation, the latter half of the tribulation. When you're reading in Daniel about the, the, the tribulation, it, it speaks of three and a half years, mostly. It speaks of 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. A time, times, one time, one year, times, two years, and a half a time. So three and a half years. Most of the time it concentrates on that. When, when, and why does it do that? Because it has to do with the nation of Israel. What starts the seven-year, according to Daniel, what starts the seven-year tribulation period? It's not the rapture, in my opinion. It's not the rapture. Uh, the rapture is when we're taken out and we escape the wrath of God. Okay, so we're taken out. We're kept from the hour of wrath. That's what the scripture says in the New Testament. So not only are we kept from wrath, we're kept from the hour of wrath. We're kept from the time of wrath. So we're taken out, and then I think there's an indeterminate amount of time while the Antichrist comes to power. He begins to consolidate his power. But the seven years specifically start when the Antichrist makes a covenant or renews a covenant with Israel. Okay, so he, he makes a covenant with Israel. That starts the tribulation time. Halfway through that seven-year covenant with Israel, he violates it. And he proclaims himself, uh, he, it's the abomination that comes in the temple. He proclaims himself in the temple that's been rebuilt. See, that's why I think there has to be an indeterminate amount of time so the temple can re be rebuilt. I don't know if it can be rebuilt in three and a half years. So there's an indeterminate amount of time. And then there's this covenant made. When the Antichrist has enough power, he makes a covenant with Israel for their safety. And then while they're dwelling in safety, they're not dwelling in safety today. If you read the news in the last few weeks, they've been under scud attacked, uh, a dozen of rockets a day coming over from the Palestinians into or, or, or the Hamas coming into Israel. So they're not living in safety today. 
But under that covenant, they're going to be living in safety. And then the Antichrist is going to break that and go into the temple and desecrate the temple and declare himself God. And then what has happened to them is, is mankind's inhumanity against mankind. Wars, rumor of wars, famine, pestilence, death. That's what man does to himself. But when you get to chapter, when you get to the sixth seal, the fifth seal says there's been some who've died, there's going to be more who die until it's completed. But the sixth seal, as we just read, is the wrath of God. So now you've moved from the inhumanity of man, what man does to each other, you've moved to the hand of God being upon the world population. You've moved to the wrath of God. And by the way, the righteous wrath of God. You, know, you remember that. It's the righteous wrath of God that, he, that he, he comes to this place. And it, it is so, it, it is so, I guess, so severe and, and that you, you find that even the rich people say, let the mountains and the rocks fall on. Now they have no more protection. Maybe their riches are gone or whatever. Their, the, the protection that their money bought them or gave them security, that's all gone. And the world's in chaos. And they're saying, let the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They see God... At, for who he is, but I want you to recognize there's no repentance. There's no repentance. There's fear and there is anguish, but there's no repentance. And so maybe time has passed for repentance. I don't know. And, uh, but uh, there, is, there is no repentance. See, repentance comes to us because of the grace of God. At some point, God may with, withhold his hand and there would be no repentance during that time. Okay, our time is up. Um, we've come to the end of chapter 6, and so we've gone through the six seals. We're into the latter part of the tribulation. Now, what happens when we go to the seventh seal, it intensifies. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. So the trumpet judgments and the, violent, the bold judgments, if you'll call them the bold judgments, they're the wrath of the Lamb. They're the, the wrath and the judgment of the Lamb. It'd be very severe. Again, I'm going to send to you in the notes on email, but I'm going to give you the outline of Matthew chapter 24 according to Dwight Pentecost. Dwight Pentecost is a, a, a very well-known author on uh, prophecy, and I'm going to give you an outline of chapter Matthew chapter 24, what Jesus says about the tribulation. And I think when you read it, you will see the breakdown of the first half, the second half, the coming of Christ in glory, and then the regathering of Israel. All right, pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have come to you by faith, that you worked in our heart by your spirit and brought us to a an understanding of our need, and an understanding of Christ's forgiveness, and we glorify you. Lord, we pray for our church, we pray for our world, pray for our families, we 
we pray that in the midst of this chaos, there would be people who come to faith and uh, Lord, honor you with their lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to say something else. I can't, I don't know how to get it across to you. I'm not the ultimate authority. I, I give you my interpretation of what is happening here and you're free to interpret it differently. And, uh, uh, you just have to do it. You know, you're, you're accountable to the Word of God. Not to me, but to the Word of God. But I, I want to give you the very best interpretation of these things that I can. And I, I want you also to think about when, when Jesus gave this in Matthew chapter 24. Okay, hear me. This is what I'm trying to get across. It means it's real. It means it's real, and it means we can understand it. We can understand what's happening and what's going to happen, because he wanted us to, and we're capable of it. And so don't just say, ah, the book of Revelation is too hard for me, I just don't, I just don't get it. Yes, you can. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. And your faith will grow if your trust in Christ grows. All right, I've already prayed, you're dismissed. See you in church. <laughs>